Content on this episode may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Trigger warning. This episode contains a description of sexual assault. If this may be triggering to you, take whatever care you need. Welcome to Unexpected Turns. When you get out of the taxi, you know, instantly everybody is just staring at you. Everybody is sort of like, what on earth? There's this white woman doing. And it was a very big factor, just being stared at all the time, being photographed all the time by strangers, having videos taken of you on the bus, people coming up to you and just stroking your arms. I had someone stroke my eyebrows and my eyelashes. I'm Anne Dibbon, and this is Unexpected Turns, where along with my good friends, Beverly and Julie, we get to talk to some pretty amazing people whose lives have taken an unexpected turn. But before we start today, Beverly would just like to say something. I'd just like to thank everyone on behalf of myself and Anne and Julie. Huge thanks to all our listeners and followers for listening to us and for all your kind messages of support. Please keep listening and sending us your feedback. We love, we love reading your messages and any suggestions that you may have for future podcasts. Thank you, Beverly. Now, today's guest is very well known to one of our hosts. Julie, can I let you say a bit more about our guest today? I will. Some of you may have heard our first episode with Chris and Gabs about their cycling adventure. In amongst it, they talked about their time in China. And I then touched on the fact that my daughter, Sean, had spent some months working and traveling in China in the last few years. And some of our listeners were then interested to hear more about her experience. Anne and Bev caught up with Sean. We agreed I'd sit this one out. So I'm now looking forward to hearing Sean's story myself. Thank you, Julie. We were absolutely delighted Sean agreed to join us on our show. It was extremely interesting. This episode may make uncomfortable listening. Please take care of yourself. I'm absolutely delighted you're here. Now, you went to China, which is I did. Pretty amazing. I mean, oh, incredible. And the hoops you had to jump through to do that, Sean. And I can remember all your tales of your visa and everything that you had to go through in the oh, hoops. Never. And just the mere fact that, you know, there you were, this girl having to go to China with a rucksack full of pills. Mm. Was that because of your epilepsy, Sean? Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I'm epileptic. Um, I also have asthma. Um, I've also been on antidepressants since I was 18. So I have quite a collection of medications yeah. ranging, you know, inhalers through to pills. Um, bearing in mind that I take nine pills a day and all my inhalers as well. That's quite a lot sure. over the course of eight months. Oh, gosh, I, I can relate definitely to that because um, having become asthmatic, and had a heart attack and been on antidepressants all in the last 10 years myself. You know, I know that's that's quite a lot, a lot to cope with. It was, it was take... more the logistics, sorry, it was more the logistics really of yeah. needing to get it all approved. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
as well as making sure you've got all the paperwork to say you know that you're you legitimately need all this stuff and you know you are kind of scared really when you kind of cross the border and you think oh am I going to be you know pulled to the side because I've basically got a load of drugs in my bag mm-hmm. were you ever pulled no. aside and Remarkably, no, I wasn't. Um, I had made sure that I had with me, just in case, several copies of my prescription, my NHS prescription, and all of my like medical history was with me. Like I had a big file of everything mm. so that I could just Gosh. give somebody. But no, um, I was actually surprised that nobody pulled me up. Going right back to, to the beginning there, why did you decide to go to China? What was the, you know, the drive behind that? Yeah. Okay. So there are probably a few contributing factors. The first one was that my cousin was adopted from China when I was seven years old and she was 18 months. So I, and I was quite a curious child. So I wanted to understand more and more about where my cousin came from, you know, this new baby in our family. So I suppose that sowed the seeds. um, And I just said at some point I would go. But then I happened to be working a contract with work that was sort of a time allotted contract. So there was going to be an end date. Um, Mm. My cousin died in a car crash, a different cousin, not the one that was adopted. Uh, One of my Mm. cousins died in a car crash and I had a partner at the time and he was not very supportive at all. So I ended that relationship and pretty much instantly after I came out of that, decided that I've always wanted to go to China. I had done teaching qualifications in the past. So I qualified as a dance teacher. And then I also tutored English in Cardiff as well to sort of children of um, uh, refugees, asylum seekers. So I tutored English there. And also, like I said, had done a lot of dance teaching as well. And I just thought, let's do it. Wow. So that was it. Quite, I, um, gosh. That's a huge, that's a huge adventure, isn't it? A, a huge thing to do suddenly. And then when you did get there, Sean, you got through your border control and everything with everything you needed. When you got there, you know, you didn't really know exactly where you were going, if I remember rightly. Yes, it was all very odd. It was all very, very bizarre, to be honest. But, you know, of course, you had a lot of help along the way um, of how, you know, exactly where we should be going and the different signs to look out for um so yes we did I just have a lot of help yes and I mean particularly the city I was in is not a particularly well-known city which I'm very pleased about I'm glad I went to that place and it's a bit of a double-edged sword because from one respect I really sort of appreciate the fact that I had probably a more authentic experience Mm. on the flip Mm. side signs everything there was there was no English. There was no there was no pinyin, which is their 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 uh, their use of letters, their phonetic letters. Yeah. Um. Mm. So there it was just Chinese characters. So it was it was quite challenging at first. And you didn't know any Chinese at all, did you? At this point, <laughs> no. No, I. Oh my word! <clears throat> so what was the job? Was it teaching English? Was that? Yes, that's right. I was basically employed by a language centre. Right. And you know, children would come after school for so it'd be like a you know, like an after school club kind of thing or weekends. But also we would be almost uh, d- deployed, if you like, to to schools around the city. So we would go to 
you know, secondary schools mainly and some primary schools uh, during during the, the daytimes as well. Because they work really long days out there as well, don't they, the children? Oh, oh they absolutely do. They really, really do. It's amazing, actually. It's, it's crazy how, how long hours they work. They are very driven. So mm. as a primary school child, how long would they be in school roughly for? Or how long would they be studying? Because, as you say, you have these after-school clubs too. Oh, probably from about 8 a.m. until about maybe 5 p.m. There would be some that would be more like, you know, half past seven until six or something. You know, it really did stretch, stretch out. Wow. You say you were in a really remote place, Sean, and it wasn't as westernised, if you like, as the rest of it. What were some of the things that instantly struck you, apart from all the road signs and everything being in Chinese? What else instantly? Um, oh, quite a few things, really, I suppose. So just to be clear, it wasn't rural where I was. I was in a city, but it was not one of the sort of more westernised cities. Where was it? What part? Oh, what part I'm going to have to say it now. It was... Yeah. Um, Shuzhou something Shuzhou. like yeah sort of between Shanghai and Beijing right yeah but yes yeah, so I suppose what struck me one of the first things I suppose was when you get into a taxi like you do coming out of the train station and there are metal bars between the driver's seat at the front there's metal bars to his side and then also behind him as well so he's very much barred off okay. from the, the passengers. That was a surprise initially. Mm. Of course, also big surprising for us would be things such as smoking whilst you're driving along, um, you know, obviously with passengers in the car, lots of sort of mopeds scooting around with no, no rules of the road or anything, just zipping in and out of all different places. And you've got no idea what's going on to the extent where at some point you just have to go, I just hope this is all going to work out. You know, I hope, <laughs> I, hope, I, hope I survive yeah. to the end of the taxi yeah. drive. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cross yeah. your fingers. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you get out of the taxi, you know, instantly everybody is just staring at you. Everybody is sort of like, "What on earth?" There's this white woman doing, and it was a very big factor of just being stared at all the time being photographed all the time by strangers having videos taken of you on the bus people coming up to you and just stroking your arms I had someone stroke my eyebrows and my eyelashes do with your fingers in my eyes yeah that's um... these these were people just randomly that came up to you oh yes complete random strangers not not just males main it was a fact I think it was probably mainly women that did that just because it was rare to see a you know a western woman in that particular area of China I would say so yes I mean there were there was a handful of us of course here we wouldn't dream of just stroking somebody's arm that would just be absurd but I don't think they did it with any malice and that's sort of the key thing I think is that it was curiosity not malice just curious Mm. I can remember you talking about some of the other habits in your blog mm. that you were talking about that just yes. sounded me. Yes. One of the surprising things for me was the spitting. And I know everybody is sort of talks about that as a thing, but it really is a thing. It's, it's a, an incredibly violent spit where you can see sort of the saliva fly across distance and they like hack it all up at the back first, like, oh, you know, a real, 
obviously that was a tiny, tiny mini example. Where did that happen, Sean? Where were they doing this? In the oh, shop? everywhere. Everywhere. In the shop everywhere. as you were walking yeah, around? Yeah. Not just outdoors? Just everywhere. No, just everywhere. Then they would also, interestingly, there was a lot of men dropping litter everywhere. Okay, yeah. And that is a gender thing, I later learnt. A gender thing, in what, in what respect? That they would expect someone else to pick it up after them? Yes, or? exactly, yes, yes. So traditionally, in the home, the man will drop rubbish and the wife will pick it up and put it in the bin. I know that times are changing, but it's just interesting from my perspective to see this. And I then go and question people about, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, that's because this is what happens traditionally in the home. But I always found it totally bizarre when they did that with a bin actually physically next to them. Like at a bus stop, there's a bin and they just drop it on the floor. But then also there isn't a benefits system. So, you know, everybody has to work in order mm. to survive. And so there would be litter pickers everywhere as well generally quite elderly people would be litter pickers so you know I did see sort of young men drop food packets or whatever on the floor next to a bin and then this sort of frail elderly woman picking it up with her litter picker and putting it in the bin incredible which which to me is of course ridiculous but it's a way of life for them You talked a bit there about it being a gender thing. Are there other things in which gender is treated differently in in that part of China? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, there are a few things. And again, it really struck me. For instance, women weren't uh, sort of trusted to carry out important jobs. All right. So anything that was sort of important would be directed to a man. What was considered important, Sean? Well, I mean, this may sound a bit silly, but I needed to go and deliver papers. Um, sort of, it wasn't passport. It was something to do with my visa or something like that. And I needed to go and deliver these papers to the local police station. And a male Chinese colleague who, you know, is lovely, but is also very sort of, I'm saying, you know, with like quotation marks, Chinese as well mm-hmm. in his wet manners, mannerisms. And he sort of looked at me. It was, these were about my papers. He looked at me and sort of frowned a bit and then looked at my male colleague, English male colleague, and told him what I should do with my papers. And I have to say, this young man that he directed his questions to was definitely not as um, mature or, you know, focused as I was. Um, no. And yet he was being told you know where the police station was and how we should do it and everything whereas I was overlooked so this wasn't just a, a sort of generational thing Sean it was just it was amongst the young people as well mm. oh yes yes he was maybe 10 not maybe not even 10 years older than me eight years older not a whole generation that's for sure you know in addition to that there are things to do with you know how late one stays out it is considered completely acceptable for a lad like teenage lads you know young men to stay out but uh young women need to be back by 10 o'clock regardless of sort of any situation you know, they need to be back home by 10 o'clock young men can stay out as long as they like men also smoke a lot and women generally speaking do not they just pick up the, the fag ends to put in the bin <laughs> so how did they sort of perceive you then you know 
Sean. Not saying that you were out drinking and smoking and <laughs> dancing, and, but you know, how did they perceive you as someone with obviously more freedom in that sense? Yes. So I think there's the racial element comes into this as well. Um, as soon as somebody looks at you, they know that you may not be as reserved, perhaps, as your sort of Chinese counterparts. And I do think that people responded differently. And for instance, I think I went to a Chinese club one night and the ratio of men to women was insane because it was basically us several white women in a room of predominantly Chinese men and with the very occasional Chinese woman. You very much felt it. And there's also the understanding that, I say understanding, misunderstanding really, that being a white woman, you are sort of promiscuous and easy, if you like, easy to sleep with. And a lot of Western women are not virgins until marriage. That's a, that's a well-known fact. I don't think I would be surprising you with saying that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Western women do not not have sex before marriage. Whereas in China, it is considered that a woman should remain a virgin until, until she is married. And if she does not remain a virgin, it's just not talked about. In fact, one of my, um, she wasn't really a colleague. She was actually my boss's daughter. We actually went out a couple of times just for, for, for lunch. I hadn't known her that, that long. And she didn't speak a lot of English. But she actually started talking to me about her and her husband's sex life, which I found very bizarre. But she said that the reason that she spoke to me about it was because she could not speak to her girlfriends about it because they don't speak about it nobody speaks about it whether it's before marriage or after marriage you just don't so she was asking me about things so I thought this is insane yeah it is because you would think even possibly in secret that they may do these things you know have these discussions or behave in a certain way even if it's covertly yeah but they don't they no, they don't. And I was shocked when I read, you know, your blog to learn how sort of disparaging they were about Western women, really. Yes, it's very much a, you're white, so you're probably easy. That there are many unfortunate experiences along those lines that, that occurs in China. And you'd often have, you know, sort of people like, just kind of like low level, we'd say like low level um, things, so like wolf whistling and things like that. You obviously couldn't necessarily understand what they were saying, but through their facial expressions, you could get a pretty good idea or gestures, you know, you could get a pretty good idea of what they were alluding to. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Content warning. You may wish to skip over the next 10 minutes of this episode. But then also I had a particularly unfortunate incident with a colleague's husband where he actually assaulted me, physically assaulted me in in the uh so where I was there's like it's like a man-made beach with like a sea thing uh in in the sea with his son right in front of me it was the weirdest experience weird, you were actually yeah. you were actually in the water and he'd yeah so what, what happened I'll tell you exactly what happened if you'd like to know so if you're comfortable oh I'm, I'm fine I'm fine Sean. I'm completely fine um so there was myself the man, his wife, who I worked with, and their eight-year-old son. And you know those sort of, uh, you know, like rubber rings that children 
getting in in the sea or in the oh pool. yes yeah yes. so so the sun was in this rubber ring and I was holding onto the rubber ring and I was like splashing the sun and we were just you know messing around and the dad man came up behind me so I was sandwiched between the boy splashing the boy and mm-hmm. the, the man and the man actually um was trying to put his fingers inside of me through my swimming costume (laughs) shocking very shocking definitely and I was Mm. saying no to him in both English and Chinese Uh and he wasn't paying attention I was trying to wiggle out the way but it was very difficult because there's this eight-year-old boy right in front of me so I don't want to completely you know it's very difficult to manage that situation absolutely Mm. because you don't want to make this eight-year-old boy upset and uncomfortable and everything and yet his dad is directly behind me oh how that. awful yeah. how and awful was, for you John. and then the mum was the other side of the young boy sort of half talking to me and half and I was just stood there like well not, I was in the water so I was treading water it's been like no way. trying to get away but also trying to not make a huge deal of it because I didn't want to upset the little sure. boy um oh. so um. Must have been awful for you, Sean. Well, I actually just left when I did leave, um, not China, when I left the, the area that evening. Because I see when it's really hot and, you know, very hot in the summer, a lot of Chinese people will go out in the evenings as opposed to during the daytime. It's, you know, very common to do that. And so, you know, with, especially with these man-made beaches, you know, people will go and play in the water and, you know, just have a bit of fun, really. Um, and I, when I actually walked back home, you're questioning yourself a lot, aren't you? Well, you might not know this, but one is questioning oneself. So, you know, did I do, mm. did I make that up? Did that happen? Did I, did I encourage that? What did I do? And you're doing this, the, I did this whole way home, really sort of delving into what had I done that had encouraged this man to do that to me. And because he wouldn't give up I can it sounds so bizarre because it's so long ago but I can almost feel it now this like prodding this really oh. horrible like aggressive prodding and and then when I looked at him he was just like laughing with it he didn't think there was anything wrong which I think is probably the most yes. telling is that he didn't think there was anything wrong with what he was doing no so when oh. I got home I really had to sort of I say home back to the flat in China I really had to sort of sit and think about it and like train my mind into into believing that actually I hadn't done anything and I hadn't provoked it in any way no were you able to talk to anyone John um I mentioned it to one of my colleagues my Chinese colleagues that I happen to get on very well with um the the problem is that his that the man his wife is also a colleague so there's sort of some difficulty in there you know so yes I did mention it to somebody but didn't take it any further it's a very difficult how did you deal with that Sean I mean you must have felt so alone that you couldn't that you didn't have anybody there and then that you could confide in how I did tell one of my flatmates who was supportive but, you know, there was nothing really, we didn't do anything about it. I didn't do anything about it. Um, I just kind of avoided that man for the rest of my time. Mm. 
in China. Uh, I just, you know, if I was invited to a, a dinner, say, you know, with his family, I'd say, no, thank you. You know, I've got other arrangements, mm. which was and a that, shame uh, because they had really lovely dinners, but never mind. Oh, oh golly. That must have been so difficult for you, though, as you say, being so far away from home. And I think it would have been on. a lot more difficult if I were a lot younger. You know, I was 25 when that happened. Mm. So obviously it's horrible at any age. Of course it is. But being 25 and being quite self-aware and also not a virgin, um, I think I felt more um, reasonably sort of mature and open-minded to everything that's going on. I think I felt more in control of it than if I had been, say, 14. I think there's that emotional maturity there. Although I'm not saying it wasn't horrible because it was, but I think I, I was maybe in a better position to deal with it than if it had been someone 10 years younger. I sure. Think, I think you're very brave to say that, Sean, because I don't, I don't see how you could ever deal with something like that. You're, you're, you seem to be very calm telling us about it. Yeah, I mean, well, I've had a lot of time. It was five years ago, wasn't it? So I've had a fair amount of time to think about it. And I mean, you know, my heart did race a bit when I was telling you, but not to the oh. extent where I think I have to stop talking about it. More no. just so that I think, no, actually, it's a good thing to talk about it because these things happen and, um, you know, they happen in, in the UK as well. You know, this isn't only something no. that happens abroad. It's just that I think it struck me particularly because I was completely aware of the racial aspects and also the fact that his son was directly, <laughs> his eight-year-old son was directly oh, in front of me. It's the most odd situation. Yeah. So you're trying, you're trying to protect yourself, but you're also trying so. to protect this little boy. That yes, because I don't, I don't want to upset that little boy and suddenly make this big commotion and... And, I, you know, it's, a, it's just it's a very awkward position that you're in there because you are sandwiched between these two men. I say men, but one's an eight-year-old boy. Sandwiched between these mm. two people who, they don't speak English. You don't speak Chinese. You're, you know, <clears throat> you think it's all innocent fun until suddenly it's not. Yeah. And No, it's not. And... You, you did everything you could in that situation. You know, you were very clear, weren't you? You know, you said, you, you said no in no uncertain terms. and Absolutely. You know, I said no in English and in Mandarin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he totally ignored that. So, yeah. <sighs> There's nothing you can really do about it in that moment. Well, some people would disagree with that, of course. But in that moment, I felt that I didn't have an awful lot of options. No. I thought just need to almost ride this out, you know, and deal with it later on. Yeah, I think you dealt with it incredibly well. Oh, I don't know if Anne mentioned Bev, but I wrote some pieces for the parish newsletter <laughs> when I came back yes. and did um, mention it briefly. I did have family members say, "Oh no, you shouldn't say that," <laughs> and I thought, and I thought, no, no, it's important that it's in there actually because it's Thanks. it's real. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen just because the people of Ashurst won't like to hear it. 
mm. when they've been quite happy hearing all the other things. Absolutely. I think you're in, incredibly brave to do that. And it was the, the right thing to do. And you're right. You should speak out mm. because that's the only way things will change. Yeah, so, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And probably I should have done like I should have done more when I was in China um, with the the staff members that I worked with, you know, retrospectively, I probably should have said something, but it was just, I felt in a very difficult position where my, 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 my boss was asking me to stay on in China for longer than I was originally mm. supposed to. And I had a job at home waiting for me in England so there was that sort of like little conflict going on there and you think, oh, I just don't need to add another layer of complication to this. Um, mm. So I just didn't, but probably I should have done mainly for other women going to that same place. It's easy in the hindsight to say these things, Charlotte. It is. It seems you did everything right and you, you've shared it now. And That's an important thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. aware. But you did have good times there as well, Sean. Oh, absolutely. And there were some really interesting things I read about as well, about the shopping centre that absolutely fascinated me, the above ground shops and the below ground shops. Mm, yeah, so I thought that this was really quite amazing. <laughs> so there would be almost like basement shopping centres where they would sell all kind of more, more quirky alternative kind of things almost sometimes a bit like um a bit like like market stalls but underground and then within those places there would also be like sort of I'll say like nail salons with like you know yeah. loosely salons nail bars maybe is better ha hairdressers under there an arcade like an amusement arcade but all underground in this sort of basement area it was very bizarre and but it wasn't sorry Anne with dodgems and things, I think I read somewhere yes, you said. Yes, yeah. dodgems, dodgems. Um, you know, hungry hippos? Yeah. Have children. Oh, yeah. There was like an electronic version of that, like on a big, big scale, where you would like push down on the hippo and it would have to catch so things. Cool. Yeah. Netball, like a netball, electronic netball thing and, you know, a dance mat idea. Wow. Um. It, it was totally strange, but I said what was more interesting was the fact that it was underground. Yeah. Um, and then that you would come out of there, walk maybe, I don't know, 50, 100 metres, and there would be this incredible, like, high-rise, very modern, very contemporary, a lot of glass, all air-conditioned, sort of fancy shopping centre, you know? with lots of, sort yeah. of like Western style things and real toilets <laughs> and uh, like a cafe <laughs> and bookshop. And, and it was like two different worlds. Very, you know, mm. this basement kind of almost like grungy zone and then just going straight into this high rise, very modern building with these incredible escalators that kind of crisscrossed and did all sorts of things. And I did get lost going up and down the escalators not sure where, where I was going in one shopping center they had an ice rink and then the other they had the dodgems and the hungry hippos that's exactly it yeah and so where did you do your shopping Sean? did you go to the above ground or the below ground or did you do both so food shopping 
I went to kind of, um, I suppose you call it a super, supermarket, really. But it doesn't feel like a supermarket. It's not like a supermarket like we have a supermarket. Yeah. It's got a different feel to it. But to uh, something like a supermarket, generally for food shopping, I didn't do an awful lot of other shopping, particularly mm. in the basement version, because they don't have prices on anything. Oh, so you right. have to ask all the time what's the price. And, and I can say in Chinese, how much does it cost? Or oh, I could. Um, and I could, I would be able to understand the number they would give back to me. But they expect you to haggle on it. And no, I couldn't haggle mm. in Chinese. No. <laughs> huh. Do you think it's like they would tell you the price depending on how much money they thought you had? Exactly that. Exactly that. So I, mm-hmm. I was told from quite early on, if I wanted anything, I should send one of my Chinese colleagues in to get it for me. Because being white, they would just tweak the price up immediately because, you know, I'm white. So <laughs> that, that's all the justification that's needed, really. Mm. You talk quite a lot about um, the fact that you were an exception being white. And you also talked about the Chinese thought you were very strange, the way you looked and things or different. Because I think you mentioned a bit about the way they look and how they wanted to change. A lot of people wanted to change their eyelids. Yeah. Yes, that that was fascinating, isn't it? I felt really strongly about this because I've always lived in a relatively sort of white areas. I don't have many friends that are people of colour. So I suppose I haven't been as exposed to this as many other people have been. But I was shocked at how many people use uh, creams that contain bleach um, because the desire is to make their skin whiter. And how many Mm. people are dyeing their hair sort of, you know, like light brown to blonde also a lot of people have like colored contact lenses right so mm. they make their eyes blue or green but not only the color also that the size so the irises would be bigger and then also the one of the big things was the double eyelid fascination yeah which I had never yes. heard of before no not, of. neither had I till I read your blog I mean, this is the thing, the whole dichotomy of the country, isn't it? It's just, like as you say, they're disparaging about the West and there's the, almost this blackout on, on news and yet they embrace the culture, don't they, and the look. Yeah, and that's what and they... And they aspire to that as, yeah. a, as an idea of what's perfect. Yeah, so it's interesting, actually. I don't know if I've mentioned this elsewhere, but I felt quite strongly about this. And with one of my older classes, in one of my last lessons I actually included Myra Hindley in my lesson right. because right. which I know sounds a bit obscure but she physically sort of captures all that the Chinese young girls that I was teaching wanted to be slender but with breasts blonde curly hair blue eyes um, she captured everything that these young Chinese girls, and you know, I say girls, they're 15, you know, so yeah. um, one of my older classes. And I put up, I found, it took quite a lot of searching actually, but I found a photograph on the internet of Myra Hindley before jail um, of her. I think it was like at a Christmas time, looking very sort of attractive, physically, you know, very stereotypically attractive. 
because that's what they all want to be. They want to have this blonde curly hair and the big blue eyes and, you know, slender, but with breasts, must have their breasts. And to be, you know, taller than they are and whiter skin. And so I actually did sort of a thing where I was talking about what beauty means. And I put up this picture of Myra Hindley and we were talking about how beautiful she is. And then of course I threw in the, um, the realities yeah. of Myra Hindley. And I then posed the question, now do you think she is beautiful? So I was trying to get them to question what beauty really meant. Yeah. And think about whether or not they actually did want to be like this. And I'm, and before anybody says anything, I'm not, of course, saying that blonde, curly hair, blue eyed, physically attractive women are all Myra Hindleys. I'm not, <laughs> not saying that at all. But my point that I was trying to get across to these young girls was that actually one's physicality doesn't determine who they are as individuals no. and that beauty is not actually a physical thing definitely not very true Sean. interesting yeah and how did they take it Sean? they actually looked very shocked and kind of laughed a bit like oh like didn't realize this was going to happen today you know <laughs> and the teacher was a bit surprised as well a bit taken aback you know the person that was sort of observing my class but once we got going people sort of warmed up to the idea, you know, and then I was able to have conversations about, you know, think about people that you think are beautiful, what qualities make them beautiful. So I was trying to sort of reframe what the word beautiful means using Myra Hindley. Yeah. So okay. they were definitely a bit surprised at the beginning when I whipped it out. <laughs> I should imagine they were, Sean. Because the, the news is not really a thing there. You, you don't necessarily hear about sort of murders or rapes or abductions or anything, even if they're in the same city as you. Whereas, of course, over here, you know, that, that was yeah. the Yorkshire Moors, wasn't it? Yeah. And yet we still all know about it. And it's still something that gets told and is shown on the TV, you know, documentaries about, you know, killer documentaries and such like. Um, whereas over there, I, I found out through sort of word of mouth one of the schools that I was teaching at, a few months before I arrived, there was a pupil there who uh, shot another pupil. And, yeah. and I was very surprised that that wasn't a thing. Yeah, it wasn't news. No, it wasn't news. And I mentioned it to somebody else. And, said, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I heard that that happened. But it was, it was never a thing because nothing is a thing everybody lives in their own little bubbles you know and mm. and you're not aware of what else is going on in the world let alone you know all your own town did you feel a bit cut off from the world then when you were oh very much so and was that a good thing or because I, I can I mean, see buses to it oh yeah I mean I quite enjoyed it but you know so I made the decision to not have a VPN a VPN is basically a way to get around the, the, the barriers yes yeah in China so people would have this VPN and then they could access BBC news or yeah whatever yeah. I made the decision to not have a VPN because I wanted to experience the culture as authentically as I could some people would just say why well, are you making it harder for yourself <laughs> which is a you know a fair challenge but I, I really wanted to sort of experience it as authentically as possible. Yeah, so I didn't know anything that was going on in the world. It was only when people would contact me 
and ask things. You know, for instance, there was the whole North Korea Trump debacle going on at the time. Right. Yeah. 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 And I had no idea it was happening, even though China is North Korea's ally, technically. I had friends messaging me asking, saying, oh, is everything okay? What's going on in China with the politics? I've got absolutely Mm. no idea. You didn't have any Twitter or WhatsApp, any of them, did you? No, there's no social media. So no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything that's Google. So that would include like YouTube, Google Maps, Google Translate, uh, Gmail, anything that was Google owned was a no-go as well. Things like BBC, ITV, all things like news-based things, all gone. And did you find that quite relaxing then that you weren't looking at all of those all the time? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, it felt a bit weird because we didn't, uh, so I had my laptop or a laptop with me, um, but obviously I couldn't access any of those things. And also we didn't have a TV or anything like that either. So you, it was very, it was very much like, oh, this is funny. No technology to keep me entertained. Oh. So that was different, you know, it was definitely different. I, but in a way I did like it, especially because there were people that downloaded the sort of Chinese equivalent of WhatsApp, if you like. It's called WeChat. Sort of close friends and family members downloaded it specifically so they could talk to me, which I thought was lovely. You know, that really sort of showed a bit of a commitment Mm. to maintaining communication. So that was okay. You've gone through all this, Sean, and you've told us all about things that you really enjoyed. When you think back on China, what would you say are the best bits from your time in China? I mean, my, my first reaction is go-go, obviously. Yeah. That's the dog. <laughs> Your rescue go-go. dog, yeah. Yeah, yes. go-go. Um, she was amazing. I think really just experiencing an entirely different way of life. Mm. Completely, completely different. So would you go back, Sean? Would you go back? Yes, I would go back. I feel that there are other places in the world that I haven't been to that I would like to go to. Um, mm. But I my experience in China was amazing the it's very hard to sort of sum it up because there was just so much to it um the culture was very different but not I'm really keen to make sure it's known that it's not malicious in any way things are incredibly different like we had there were children you know literally defecating on pieces of cardboard on the street Mm. and their mum would Mm -hmm. pick it up and put it in the bin on the bit of cardboard which seemed totally strange but then there were also and also you weren't allowed to walk on grass you had to the the grass in sort of public parks was not to be walked on you had to walk on the pavement the the nature around was amazing and so beautiful Mm. really beautiful nature I would say to anybody if you've got an open mind Mm. and you are prepared to be challenged (laughs) then do it because it's amazing but if you are sort of closed off to the idea of squatting for toilets and carrying your own tissue with you because there's no tissue and also often no taps so you can only use hand sanitizer and you know having cigarette butts just thrown around and spitting and pooing the children and you know oh gosh a bit if you have an open mind there's so much sort of beauty to be Mm. enjoyed as well so what new opportunities are you looking out for now then 
Well, to be honest, at this moment in time, I am trying to just get through the coronavirus pandemic without losing mm. my mind. That's probably my first job. So I've recently bought a flat um, and also the dog. So I am quite secure now. Before this, I did go traveling in Eastern Europe as well. So I saw quite a few places over there and I lived in London for a bit and I've sort of moved around quite a bit. But I've got some things that I would like to do. So I would actually like to work for Southampton City of Culture, if anybody's listening. Um, (laughs) I, I I work in arts and culture at the moment and I have done now for quite a few years. Yeah, I would like to get involved with that. And then at some point, I'm quite intrigued to to maybe go somewhere may sound really ridiculous um but somewhere like Saudi Arabia or something to really again put myself outside of my comfort zone Mm. and do something like that well Sean you you crammed an incredible amount into into your 30 years it's amazing really and you're certainly very passionate and driven and I you know I don't doubt for one minute that you'll have plenty more adventures Oh, I really hope so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You'll have to tell us about your next adventure, Sean. It sounds like you've got plans, but as you say, like all of us, we've got to get through this yes. coronavirus. And would you would you say that you've made changes to your thoughts and to your lives as a result of China? I think a lot of things have have been impacted by my experience in China. Firstly, I think there's an appreciation for certain things in our society more so than before so you know I did feel really sorry for that sort of she was an elderly lady picking up this man's rubbish and whilst we can all be critical of government policy I do think that you know having a benefit system is really important which I respect mm-hmm. um in the same the same way as in China they won't reveal a baby's sex, for instance, when it's when the woman's pregnant, even though they can, but they won't, for fear of, you know, a termination or anything. Mm. Whereas here, there's so much more freedom. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things is the appreciation mm. of the freedom that we have. Um, and whilst I won't sit here and say that 100%, you know, women have equal rights, I think it is an awful lot stronger than it is in China and just attitudes towards women are so much more positive here than they are over there and I'm not saying that there isn't a way to go because there still is you know we've still had the pay gaps issue there's still been the Me Too movement there's been so much going on um Mm -hmm. it definitely has made me think about how fortunate we are in our society um, but also has made me question things as well, like the amount of news we have, you know, and whether that's actually truly helpful. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think it's given you a lot of opportunity, isn't it, for self-reflection? Well, Sean, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been gosh, absolutely yes. fascinating listening to you, Sean. I could talk about lots, lots more, Sean. It's been wonderful to talk to you, Sean. Lovely to meet you. And truly, I've been inspired listening to you. As well, I think you're a very strong, resilient person, and pretty sure you're going to make a big impact in your life. In my own way, I hope so. I hope absolutely, definitely. You're already doing that. 
You have you've had an impact on me already, as you know, Sean. Oh, <laughs> too kind. Um, continue to impact of it. Thank you very much indeed, Sean. I will say goodbye no, to you, you now, Sean, yeah. so that you can go and you can um, have rest. a cup of tea, baby. Have a cup of tea. Have mm. a cup or of tea. A, <laughs> or a large right. gin. Oh, that'll do nicely. <laughs> I didn't drink in China, so no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't. No, oh, no. enjoy the Isle of Wight. All right, enjoy, thank you. enjoy the Isle of Wight. Thank you very, very much. Take care, both of you. And bye. you, bye. 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 Thank you very much for listening. We know much of this episode will have made uncomfortable listening. But as Sean says, it does need to be shared. If you need any help or support with any of the issues discussed in this episode, please look at our social notes and follow the helplines and advice given. Thank you very much. <laughs>